I want us to kind of kickstart our, our talk on fasting and our study on fasting by, by just practicing a little fast this morning for about 30, 35 minutes. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to practice fasting this morning. And here's the fast. We're going to fast from our phones. All right, so if you have a smartphone or cell phone, I want you to turn it off. All right, turn it off. I don't want you to put it under your chair, upside down. Even those that like to rebel, you need to do this. All right? So turn off your phone. All right? Put upside down underneath your chair. Now, for some of you, this is going to be difficult, right? Because you use the Bible app on your phone. And so you're not going to be able to actually turn and find and read the passages that we're going to look at this morning. Others of you, you maybe use a notes app. And I just assume you're taking notes of the sermon. All right, others of you, you check messages, tech messages, play games, whatever, check scores. You're not going to be able to do that today. So we're, we're going we're gonna to practice fasting a little bit. And, and why do that? What, why do this? Because fasting creates this absence, right, this, this need for something. It creates, it heightens our awareness to need. And so for some of us this morning, you're going to experience that, that need, and, I, and that's on purpose, because I want you to, to not resist that, but I want you to embrace that, that feeling of need, that absence of not being able to turn in your phone and find the passage, because that's what fasting does. It just heightens our awareness to need. And so as we, as we jump in to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount once again, I, I want us to just look at three basic principles about fasting that Jesus gives in his sermon. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. So if you have a Bible with pages, all right, then join me in Matthew chapter 6. If you are sitting next to someone that has a Bible with pages, just ask if they'd be willing to share with you, and I'm just assuming that they will. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. I just want us to see three basic principles when it comes to fasting. Jesus says this, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the first principle that I want us to see about fasting, it's very similar to what Jesus had to say about prayer. Fasting is expected. It's expected. Jesus said, he starts in context of this sermon in Matthew chapter 6, he he starts on verses 1 through 4 and he says, when you give. And then verses 5 through 15, he says, when you pray. And then he just goes right into, and when you fast. So, So Jesus is just kind of assuming that just as much as a disciple of Jesus would give to those in need, just as much as a disciple of Jesus would pray, a disciple of Jesus is also going to fast. He just assumes that that's going to be part of who you are as, as his disciple. You're going to fast, so do we? Do we fast? Have you ever fasted? Maybe you didn't even know this. 
that this is something that as a follower of Christ, Jesus just expects, assumes that we're going to do, that we're going to fast. Now, Jesus never requires us to fast. He never commands us to fast. He just says, when you fast. He just kind of assumes it. So I wonder, the reason why Jesus is maybe not requiring it or or commanding it, I, I just wonder if maybe he's just assuming that we're going to do this because we'll want to. We'll, we'll want to fast. Fasting isn't so much a, a requirement like I have to do this. It's more of a I get to do this. I, I want to do this. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see Daniel fasting in Daniel chapter 9, and we'll come back and look at some of these passages, but, but Daniel in chapter, chapter 9 of that book, it says he sought the Lord and he prayed and he fasted. Moses fasted. We have an 84-year-old woman named Anna in the gospel of Luke chapter 2. It says that she fasted. Jesus fasted. The apostle Paul fasted. The church Fasted, And in every one of those instances, no one was forcing them or requiring them to fast. They chose to fast. It was something that they wanted to do. Now, what is fasting? I think John Piper defines it well when he says this. Fasting is a temporary renunciation or denial of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. And I think that's a pretty good definition of fasting. It's where we're saying no to this thing that is good, that's right. I'm going to say no to that for a while so that I can focus my heart and my mind and my, intent and my attention on something greater, specifically God and his work and something specific that I really am asking him to do in my life or in someone else's life. But Jesus never requires it. He never commands it. He just assumes that we'll do this, that we'll fast. Now, as many of you know, we lived in the Republic of Ireland for two and a half years. And if you got invited over to someone's home in Ireland, it was just expected that they're going to offer you tea and biscuits. Biscuits are cookies. All right, they're just going to offer you tea and biscuits. So when you come into the home, they're just going to put a a kettle of tea together, a kettle of water, and, and pour you tea and have a little plate and some cookies on that. And, and when we would have people in our home, that was a thing to do. When they came into our home, we would say, well, you know, we'd just start making tea and offer, you know, cookies or bread or whatever we would have for them. It was something that, that you're not required to do that if you're Irish. <laughs> All right, there's no, nothing in the, their constitution that says when you have people over in your home, we, you know, we demand that you offer people tea and biscuits. But it's just something that they do. It's just kind of assumed that you're Irish, so you're going to do this. And, and you do that, and when you're having tea and you're having biscuits, what do you do? Your focus and your attention is on the person that you're having tea and biscuits with. So it's about relationship. It's about engaging with that person. And in a way, fasting is the same, right? We're, we're, we're not required to fast. Jesus assumes we're going to fast so that our attention can be on that relationship and and on God and who he is and what we're asking and needing him to do in our lives. And so the first principle really for us to see is that fasting is expected. It's expected. The second principle, again, related to what Jesus had to say earlier about prayer, 
is that fasting is not about impressing or proving our spirituality to others, to yourself, or even God. He said the same thing about prayer. He said the exact same thing. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, all right, who stand on the corners and want to be seen when they pray. And then he says something almost, almost the identical thing to, about, about fasting. He, he says this, right? He says about fasting, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. He says in verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is basically saying when you are fasting, having a personal fast, don't go around complaining. Right? Don't go around complaining how hungry you are. Or the reason why you haven't shaved in three days. Or the reason why you're craving a cheeseburger is because you're in the middle of this crazy fast right now. And you're just telling everybody about it. All right? Jesus said, no, when you're having a personal fast, when you're, when you're, when you're fasting, take care of yourself. Don't make it noticeable that you're fasting. So it's not about impressing or proving our spirituality or showing off that we're more spiritual than others. It's not about that. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here with this second principle. It's not about impressing or proving our spirituality to each other or even to God, which is the opposite to, to why many people in other religions fast. Take, take uh, those in Islam, for example. Right? It's required of a Muslim to fast. It's required. You would not think as a Muslim that you... I mean, it's required. Ramadan... Is, is, it's a requirement for them, as part of their religion, to fast. Jesus says, no, we're, I'm not requiring you to do this. In fact, John Piper has this to say. He says, fasting doesn't have the same place in Christianity that it does, for example, in Islam. The fasting that Muslims do during the month of Ramadan in Islam is a requirement of every real Muslim. You can't really claim to be a Muslim if you say, I am just not going to do Ramadan. Fasting doesn't have that kind of place in Christianity. But even though there is no command to fast in the New Testament, nevertheless, there are indications that it was normal and that Jesus expected it would happen among its followers. So Jesus is saying fasting doesn't earn you any brownie points with God. All right, It's not going to earn you a, a God's approval. Because it, it's not about impressing God with your spirituality or with your fast. Right? And we know this. We, we know that our acceptance to God isn't determined by our righteousness, our good works. Go with me to Paul's letter to Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. For some, you feel that need, that wanting to turn... Scroll, right? Good. Good. Titus. Chapter 3. Paul writes, and he says this. We'll pick it up in verse 3. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
That's so important. That's a huge point that, that Paul's making here. He's saying, we're not forgiven because of our good works. You don't, God doesn't accept you because of your spirituality, because of your righteous actions. He's saying, no, 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 he didn't save us. He didn't give you forgiveness. He didn't bring you into his family because of anything that you did. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, so we have to be clear, fasting, right, it, it's, it's something that we do, and it's, it doesn't bring you brownie points from God. It doesn't make God accept you or love you anymore or even more. No, it, the gospel, what the fasting does, though, it does remind us of our need for the gospel. That need, right, it reminds me that, no, it's not my righteousness that makes God accept me and bring me into his family. It's Christ's righteousness. It's the blood of Christ. I need, fasting reminds me of my need for Jesus. I need him. Apart from him, I'm lost and broken. I need Jesus. The gospel says I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and I need Christ. And fasting reminds us of that need and how we need Jesus. We need his blood that was poured out on the cross to bring us forgiveness and to bring us into a relationship with the Father. And I think fasting reminds us of that. So when you sense and feel that need, right, because you're, you're denying yourself of something, let that remind you of your need for Jesus. But let it remind you of the love of Christ who went to the cross to provide your forgiveness and bring you into relationship with the Father. So if you're trusting and being a good person to get you to heaven or you know people that are you and they are sadly mistaken, you don't need another good work. You need Jesus. You don't need another good work. You need Jesus. Jesus did all the work for you. You know how freeing that is? Jesus removes that burden of having to try to be good. He removes that from us. That's so good. That's such good news. And it was for a cost, right? It was cost of his own life on the cross and the blood poured out so that you don't have to try to be good because you can't. But Jesus did that for you so that you can have that burden of trying to be good and removed and you just simply repent of your sins and surrender your life to Jesus and he comes in and gives you his righteousness that brings you to the Father. And so the point that I want us to see here is Jesus is saying, listen, fasting doesn't impress God. It doesn't impress others. You don't do it for that reason. But I do think it should remind us of our need for Jesus. I think it reminds us of, of our need for the gospel. And so it leads me to, to this question. So if we're not commanded or required to fast, and fasting doesn't earn me any brownie points with God, why in the world fast? Why do this? Why 24 hours? Are you kidding me? Why? Well, I think that leads us to a third principle that we see here that Jesus gives us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. So go back there with me, Matthew chapter 6, and look, let's see this third principle Jesus gives us. He says this, 
In verse 18, he says, That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus said something very similar about prayer. Almost the same exact words. And, and so I think similar to prayer, fasting is really about encountering and experiencing God in his presence. It's about the heart. It's about recognizing your heart's need for God to do a work. It's about your heart's need for God to move. And so it's about encountering and experiencing God in his presence. Look, Jesus says, when you fast, your father sees. Your father sees you fasting. He's aware of your fasting. He's He's present, and, and that's what he says next. He says, your father sees in secret, but he says, your, your father who is in secret. So he's there. He's present as you're fasting. I think there's a direct connection and link between fasting and experiencing and encountering the presence of God. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see this in Daniel chapter 9. Join me there, Daniel chapter 9. And look at why, I want us to see why Daniel fasts. Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. And I want you to look for the link between Daniel's fasting and encountering and seeking the presence of God. He says, verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth on ashes and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God. Do you see what he's doing? He said, I'm seeking him by prayer and I'm seeking him with fasting. There's something that happens when I think when we deny ourselves of something because it creates a need and then it moves us to say, I need God. I, I, I need his I, I need him to show show his presence to me in, the, in this moment. And so Daniel says he seeks the Lord by prayer and with fasting. There seems to be a connection between fasting and encountering the presence of the Lord. And then go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, verse 36 and 37. says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, look at this, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you see that? What it says that she's worshiping how? With fasting and with prayer. Again, there seems to be this, this connection, this link of worship and fasting, experiencing, encountering, longing to give praise to the Lord. How? Through fasting. And, and when I read that, I say fasting actually is, is it's an expression of worship. Just like singing is an expression of worship. Fasting, prayer is an expression of worship. Fasting is an expression of worship. And then we see the church in Acts chapter 13. Join me there, Acts chapter 13. Verses 1, 2, and 3. 
Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Do you see why they're fasting? They're seeking an answer from the Lord. They're saying, okay, God, we know you want to send people out as missionaries. Who do you want us to send? Who should go? Who should go plant a house church? God, we need to hear from you. We don't know. Show us. Reveal this to us, God. So they're seeking the presence of God. They're seeking to hear from God. It says while they're worshiping, while they're fasting, and what happens? God spoke. God answered. And he said, okay, I want you to send these people. So there's this link, there's this connection between fasting and encountering and experiencing the presence of God. Jim Willems, who is a personal friend of mine, a friend of um, Living Church, he is the director of mission for the Northern Kentucky Baptist Association, of which Living Church is connected to and a part of. He says this about fasting. He says, fasting allows us to create space in our minds and hearts for more of God's presence. Fasting allows us to create space in our minds and hearts for more of God's presence. So when you experience that need or that absence, let it drive you to remind you of your need for God. Our need for Him to move and to act. So why fast? We're not required to fast. Jesus doesn't command us to fast. We don't it doesn't make us accepted by God because we fast. So then why? Because we long. We long for God. And we recognize our need for Him. And we need Him to move and act and answer prayer and save souls. And so we're going we're gonna to deny ourselves of something so that we can just focus our mind and our hearts and our attention on God and who He is and why we need Him and what we're asking Him to do. Does your heart resonate with that? Do you long for God like that? We've been privileged to have um, Andrea's dad with us for the past three weeks. And we've also been privileged to have Andrea's dad's dog, Hachi, with us for the past three weeks. And Hachi is this big, husky dog, okay? And we have a little dachshund named Tebow. I mean, they play, it's great. It's like David and Goliath, all right, when they play. And I really think Tebow's acting more like Goliath than, than the other. But what's, what's interesting about Hachi is... Is there been times when we've had dinner and we'll be sitting around in the chair or whatever in our living room and Hachi will, at times will, will come right up to you and he will just sit there and he will just stare at you while you eat. It's really awkward. Like if you're the one eating, which it's really an awkward feeling, you know, in some ways it's like somebody staring at you while you're eating, but he just stares at you and at times, right? And, but there's moments when he's, he's denying himself of, of this thing that you have to wear drool. Right, just starts coming down out of, out of his mouth, right? Because he's longing for what you have. He wants what you have. But he's denying himself of that. And as he's denying himself of that, he wants more. He, he's, he has this, he's created this need in himself. And I wonder, do our hearts drool? Do our hearts long for God? And sometimes it takes denying ourselves of something to expose, do we really long for God? 
Do we really need him? And so here's the next step, right? Here's the challenge. And I'm asking the band to come. Here's the next step. Fast. Fast. And don't wait until two weeks from now. Fast this week. Let me give you some helps with that. Here's, here's the challenge. I want you to pick a day this week. And if you're able, physically able to fast a meal during that day, I want you to fast a meal. Like I said, you can't accidentally skip breakfast and call you, say you did it. No, there's intentionality. But if you're, if you're physically able to fast food, not go get fast food, right? Fast food. If you're able, I want you to do that this week. And when you start to feel the pangs of hunger, let that remind you of your need for God. But let it remind you of the love of God. And God's love for you, that he put his son on a cross. And his son who died and poured out his blood so that you could be called his child and he be your father. And so this week, fast. If you're not able to fast food, then maybe it's your phone for an entire day or for a few hours. Or maybe you're going to fast from watching your favorite sports team. You don't have to do tonight. That's okay. We'll give you a pass. Right? I don't know. What is it? But Jesus says, listen, when you fast, your father is in secret. He's there. And he sees in secret. And fasting is about encountering and experiencing the presence of God in our lives and exposes our need and our longing for this God who loved us so much that he put his son on a cross to prove it to us. Go with me to Titus chapter 3 one more time. Titus chapter 3 as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. I just want us to reflect again on the beauty of the gospel because fasting reminds us of our need for the gospel. But fasting also reminds us of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. Verse 4, but when, this is good, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, church. He saved you. Why? Because you fasted? Because you came to church on a Sunday? Because you're nicer than the person sitting on your right or left? No. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Amen. Amen. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. He's pouring out a who? The Spirit. Richly, through Jesus Christ, 
our Savior, so that being justified, being made right with God, how? By His grace, you might become an heir. That means your family. You might become an heir according to the hope of eternal life. Why? Because we have a Jesus who poured out his blood on that cross and who looks at you and looks at me and he says, I love you. And I know that you needed me even when you didn't even know that you needed me. So I came. And I stretched out my arms and I poured out my blood to forgive you. And while you were still sinning, I died for you. And if you're here this morning and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, I do not care if you've grown up in church all your life and you've heard this a bazillion times. If you're here and you need to surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins right now where you sit, you call upon him and he says he will save you. He will do it. But if you're here and he has saved you, communion is a time of celebration, a time of thanksgiving, to thank him for who he is and what he's done, that he has forgiven you of all your sins. Why? Because of the goodness and loving kindness of God. So in a moment, we're going to take the bread and the cup. And if you're here and without Christ this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to ask you to not take the bread and the cup, because the communion table is only for those who are followers of Jesus. But can I challenge you with the question? What's keeping you from surrendering your life to a God who loves you so much that he put his son on a cross to prove it to you? What's keeping you from surrendering your life to a God like that? But if you're here and you are a disciple of Jesus, then Take the bread and take the cup and remember the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. But before you do that, I want you to just take a moment and just reflect on Titus 2, Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. So those of you that were fasting from your phones, I want you to grab your phone. I want you to turn it on. And if you have the app on your phone, I want you to join us in Titus chapter 3. And so before you take the bread and the cup, I just want you to spend time having conversation with God using Titus 3, 4 through 7 as your guide. Just thank God for his love. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his spirit whom he's poured out onto you. Just thank him. Thank him for his love. Thank Jesus for his blood that he shed on the cross. Thank, thank Jesus that you get to fast, <laughs> that you get to. And through that fasting, you get to encounter him and experience him. And then when you sense your heart is ready, you make your way to the table and you take the bread and the cup and thanksgiving to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that it's not by our works of righteousness that we are saved, but by your work and your righteousness given freely to us because of the blood you shed on that cross. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you.